just as well. Brother Jim just testified to that, amen? If you have a smartphone and are interested, whether it's Android or iPhone, you're interested in having that Bible we talked about, let me know. We'll help you get it. And it's audio Bible, so it'll, it'll read to you. Let's see, it makes it better. In our series, Going Right in a Culture Gone Wrong, we want to talk today out of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And I skipped the verse to read earlier, but that's all right. We'll catch it up here. But in Matthew chapter 5 are the Beatitudes. And uh, if you've read them before, you know that they're powerful. They have a lot to teach us. We're going to go to the sixth one. The, the ones before it are important. But this one is, is really important because it, it speaks to us where we are today. Beatitude are sequential. They build on each other. Those who have come to see their sinful state for what it is, they're the ones that are poor in spirit. They mourn over their sins. They've been brought to the humility of recognizing their own inability to do anything about it and have hungered and thirsted for the righteousness of God. They have been consequently filled as they've received the bountiful mercy of God. It's brought them to a point of being saved. And it means their sins were washed away and they've been made pure. But we want to understand, seek to understand all that the Lord's saying to us in Matthew 5, especially in verse 8. But there's several things that we have to consider. First of all, I want us to consider what the heart is. What exactly is this heart that Jesus is referring to? Uh, let me get back. Jeff, let's read verse 8 together. Can you? Any chance you can bring that up for me? Okie doke. The power of electronics, it's a wonderful thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So what's this heart that he's talking about? Um, it's not just the muscle that pumps in your chest. Because once, if that muscle ever stops pumping, what happens? You stop. <laughs> right there. Uh, there's no, well, I'll, I'll get it down the half a block from here. No, you either, it's either going or you're not. So we need to ask ourselves, what is he talking about that we need to have purity in our hearts? What does it mean to see God? So what is the heart? The Greek word used in this text is the word cardia. We get our English word cardiac from this Greek word. Uh, Jeff had a youth group uh, that he called cardia, of the heart. Great t-shirt he had made up of that. Every culture has some internal organ that they consider to be the emotional, spiritual, and mental center of that person. For us, we tend to talk about the heart being that place. We say, I love you with all my heart. Let's get to the heart of the matter. It's our way of 
getting to the center of a person's emotions or their thoughts. It's exactly how the word heart is used in Scripture. It's used some 105 times in 98 verses in the New Testament. It means the center of who we really are. It's the, this meaning to which Jesus refers to in our text, Matthew 5, 8. In the Old Testament, the word for heart is often interchangeable with the word for mind. So that gives us that inside of emotion and thought and spirit. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel is considering Eliab, David's older brother, as the one who should he should anoint his king, God tells him, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So don't judge a book by its cover. You don't know what's going on in the heart of man. 2 Kings 2, verse 3, we're told to serve the Lord with our whole heart, not to have divided loyalty. Deuteronomy 4.29, we're told to seek the Lord with all our heart, all of our being. Jesus refers to the heart often in His ministry. In Matthew 6.21, He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Matthew 12.34 and 35, Jesus tells us that this true center of our being reveals who we really are. He says, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So if your heart is pure, good things will flow from your mouth. If you've got convoluted hearts, then you get a mixed bag comes out of there. Amen? Have you ever gotten so mad you just lost it all? Said things you wish you hadn't ever said? Said words that you haven't said for years and years and years because the emotion of anger got the best of you? You can raise your hand if you'd like. It'd be great if all of us raised it and then we'd all feel good, see? I know there's a few perfect ones here still in our church, and I appreciate you folks. I know you roll your eyes and say, boy, but for the, those pitiful little people up there. That... <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in verse 10 of Jeremiah 17, it goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the conscience even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. God weighs and judges what comes out of our heart. But we also know that a change of heart is necessary for salvation to take place. In the Christian church and church of Christ, we have a real tendency to push the water of baptism. We, we think if we throw you in that water, something magical is going to happen to you when we get you down, we hold you under, and we bring you back up. Now, I jokingly tell the young people when I baptize them, I'm going to hold you under until the bubbles quit coming up so we can get all the sin out of your life. I don't ever hold them under that long. Thought process is there, but, you know. But if, if I just get you in the water... And your heart hasn't changed. What good's water? 
everywhere in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the best, especially from the book of Acts forward, when someone came to a salvation position in their life, their heart changed first. I mean, we tend to quote Acts 2.38. That's our whipping verse to whip people into baptism. But you've got to get 36 and 37 before you get to 38. Because in 36, Peter says, this same Jesus, you crucified Him. And 37 says, and pricked to the heart. I love that King James phrase. And pricked to the heart, they said, men and brethren, what must we do? So in other words, there was conviction. And then he says, Peter says, our famous verse, repent and be baptized. He didn't say, well, just get them in the water and hold them under and then you can repent. Well, yeah, if you're under there long enough, you'll probably do some repenting, I'm telling you. Kicking, screaming, and everything else. But it'd be better if you did the change of heart before you got to the water because it really doesn't mean anything until your heart changes. Amen? Because if your heart's changed, then it's not going to be a big deal to take communion every Sunday. In fact, you look forward to it. It says, dude, we carved it in the table. I mean, you know, it must be important. And it'll mean more. If your heart's changed, you won't have any problem dropping stuff in the offering plate when it's passed. If your heart's changed, you won't have any problem signing up to volunteer for whatever needs to be done. If your heart's changed, you're going to treat people differently. You are going to be different. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. I asked the young people a couple weeks ago, I said, if you're an athlete, what essential equipment do you need to play that sport? Well, we got into softball and football and soccer and basketball. And, and now I found out yesterday from a commercial that if you play basketball, well, actually, if you succeed in any sport, it's because of Kobe Bryant. Someone asked him at the end of the commercial, they said, so what if you're really, really successful? And, and I love it. Kobe goes, you're welcome. <laughs> like he's, he's the reason it happened. Oh, boy, they're having a heyday on Tim Tebow today, aren't they? Well, where was your God, 316? Where was he at? The week before, he threw for 316 yards, averaged 31.6 yards a pass, and both of his bosses are named John. John 316. It's a God deal. Woo! Hallelujah. Then they, I guess God doesn't live in New England. Last time I looked, it takes more than one person to win anything. But if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, we can be saved. That brings us to the next idea, and that is purity. The Greek word that's used in our text today carries this idea of cleanliness or purity. And when you were growing up, did your mother always tell you to wash your hands before you ate? She'd tell you to wash your hands before you did anything. 
is always about washing your hands. And when you're little, you would go to wash your hands. You'd either have to stand on a stool to get to the stuff, and then you'd make this huge mess, and then she'd gripe and yell at you because you made a mess. When she's the one that told you to go in there and clean your hands. Did anybody show you the proper method of cleaning your hands? Usually not. They throw you in there and expect you to do it. So now we have Purell. We don't need to wash our hands. We just squirt it with Purell. And off we go. They've got herbal smells. They've got lotion involved. in. It's all kinds of stuff. 99.9%. But you'll never get away from washing your hands. And why does your mother want you to wash your hands all the time? Because they're dirty. And if you come to the dinner table with your dirty hands, your dirt goes to everybody else. And the bugs that are on your hand are going to crawl off in the, baked pota- or in the mashed potatoes, and we don't need bugs in the mashed potatoes. Amen? So you've got to stay pure. I've told you the story. When I was a kid, my mom used to bring out this little bitty bottle. I mean, it couldn't be more bigger. It couldn't be bigger than this. It had cross and, and uh, skull on it, crossbones and skull on it. It's called the mercuricone, thiolate. You'd have this cut, and she'd say, we need to put a little of this on there. And you'd say, what is it? She'd say, oh, it's nothing. Just blow on it. <laughs> you could blow for days, man. You'd never get rid of that burn. She'd dab that thing on there, and it'd be like somebody set your hand on fire. You could look down, and there'd be flames coming off of your finger. Ah! You could blow, 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 and it left this stain on you, too. Do you know? If anything could live after that, I don't know what it is. Oh, man. I washed and washed and washed because I didn't want her touching me again with that little bitty bottle. Mm-mm. But I'll tell you what. I never had any problem with being pure on those cuts. Especially, and, and, and why she would open it up and then put it in there. Ay, ay, ay. Just dab it on the surface. Leave the rest of it alone. She would kind of pull it back and jab it. I mean, you could, you'd swing it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The Lord is speaking here about getting rid of guile, getting rid of malice, getting rid of gossip. (laughs) Gossip? Gossip? We don't gossip in the church, preacher. What kind of a... What? If you mention it as a prayer request, then that makes it spiritual. Of course, what was I thinking? We, we tend to think about more people's business than God ever intended for us to, to think about. If we would spend as much time concerned about their salvation and their walk with God instead of who they're hanging out with, we'd be doing a lot better, wouldn't we? If we would be more concerned about the salvation of Christ in their life and the ability to share Christ instead of well, you see what kind of car they're driving? Well, who died and gave them a whole bunch of money? Well, I wish I had that toy. Hmm, well, hmm, hmm. Yeah, I wonder how they got that. 
Must have a rich aunt or grandma that gave it to them over there because they couldn't buy it themselves. I've seen, I've been to their house. Get over yourself. Let's be more concerned about their walk with God than we are about what they have or don't have. Or, hey, you see how they're dressed today? Wow. Purity of heart. When I think of purity of heart, I think of a glass of milk. Because when you pour a glass of cold, white milk, not, not skim, because skim is off color. But that good old, you know, D whole, you know, you pour that milk. Oh, it's just, it's beautiful and white, isn't it? And I'll tell you what, you're ready to drink it, and then a fly falls in the milk. Now, I don't know about you, but it's really obvious that there's something else in that milk. That milk is ruined. There's no way I'm going to Now, once you scoop the fly out, well, then it's ready to go. Amen? It looks pure again. Look at the bottom. <laughs> there, there's some residue left in there from that fly. Ah, tip it back and just gulp it down. You'll never notice the difference. <laughs> so that was the problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They liked to look really good on the outside, but on the inside they were rotten to the core. He used the illustration of the chalice, the cup, and he says, you love to polish the outside of the cup while you leave the inside filthy. Yeah. That's us. Uh, we, we show up on Sunday and whew, we're the righteousness of God. Whoa. I challenged the teenagers Wednesday night to learn to pray, to call out to God. So I asked him about Peter. Remember when Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. I asked him, I said, what prayer did he pray? And then I prayed for them. Oh, Lord Almighty God, I now am sinking in the quagmire of this water. Oh, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, Jesus. Thank you for rescuing me. Isn't that what he prayed? He spent 20 minutes just praying, thanking God, didn't he? No. He says he called out to God. When he started to sink, he went, Help! That's exactly what he did. There was no flowery speech. There was no heavy... You know? I mean, there's guys that pray in the church. They've been praying in the church the same way, the same words for years. You can mouth the words with them when they pray the prayer. Oh, Lord, bless our falling shorts. Did he say what I thought he just said? Oh, Lord, bless this fruit of the loom. That's what one guy prayed when he's praying for the fruit of the vine. <coughs> Matthew 23, 27, 28, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, 
which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. How do people see you? Do they see you the same on Sunday as they do on Sunday night and Monday and Monday night and Tuesday and Tuesday? Do they see you the same? Or are you all together different? When I challenge these guys to start carrying their Bible, one of them said, well, we can't carry our Bible to school. Oh, oh, oh. I want to know the school that tells them they can't do that. We're going to have fun with that one. I've been in this community now 18 years, Minister Alliance president. I think I can get a few preachers to line up. We go over to that school and just say, hmm. And we'll carry a big Bible with us. Now, they can stop me from doing it, but they can't stop them from doing it. They, can, they could carry the family Bible in. And I mean, hold it up, threaten them, go. And I asked them, I said, why is it that if you hold your Bible up, it creates more turmoil than any other book you hold up? If you just hold up the Bible. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like you're looking at vampires. You go, and they go, ah, ah, ah. Hold up the Bible. But more than hold it up, live it. Live it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Live it. Live it. For us to make it to heaven, we've got to live it. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together. says the Lord, Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Woo! Hallelujah! You and I look bad with that sin. He done cleaned it up. He done cleaned it up. And within the course of His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and six, he is saying the pure in heart are those who are saved, those who have been washed in a fountain filled with the blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And as the song says, sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Amen and amen. Is there a difference between positional and conditional purity? Yeah, there is. Conditional purity comes because we have Jesus living in us. We have Jesus living in us. So we're pure from head to toe. You remember when you came out of the water of baptism, how you felt? Person after person tells me, I'll feel clean for the first time in my life. Did a funeral last week. Uncle of the girl that, that we did the funeral for. Came up to me and asked me if I could if I'd baptize him. <laughs> Out of ashes rise something great. Amen. So you, I said, "You bet, your brother. You tell me the day and the time. I'll be here." Give me a little lead, and I'll heat the water up. If you really want to remember it, I'll just run it in cold. <laughs> then he says, "They shall see." The pure of heart will see God. They'll see God. You ever see God? Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't physically seen Him. I've seen pictures of what people think Jesus looked like. Uh, the one that just always grips my heart are the images from the movie The Passion of the Christ especially when they whipped him and beat him and took him to the cross. I, I just I just wonder if it didn't look something like that. 
he was pretty beat up, pretty bruised up. You ever gotten a bruise around your ribs? Hard to breathe? You ever been beat across your back so much that you can barely stand? You ever gotten hit back behind your, just under your rear end on the backs of your legs? And how hard that is to stand after that? Those of you that play sports, you ever been hit, clipped, and it's hard to walk after that? None of that matched what Jesus went through. Remember, they got around him and they said, you're the son of man, huh? you're the son of God. And then somebody from the blind side would hit him, hit him. They said, oh, son of God, tell us who hit you. And another on the other side would clear his throat and spit on him. Hey, son of God, tell us who did that. And somebody from behind him would hit him with a stick in the back of the head. Now, I don't know about you, but all that hurt. And then they had the audacity to get hold of something like this. I don't think it was like this, but something like this. This is stuff out of Oklahoma. But it sure makes the visual image, doesn't it? And then they just took it and they placed his head right there and then they just kind of shoved it down on his head. Hmm. Pure of heart. Pure of heart. Deuteronomy 6. Four says, Hear, O Israel. Revelation 2.11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Exodus 32.20, God tells Moses, You can't see my face, for no man can see me and live. In John 1.18, it tells us, No man has seen God at any time. The only, begotten, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So when Jesus promises that the pure in heart shall see God, what exactly is he talking about? That phrase, shall see, it's a very significant word in the Greek language. They were a people of the eye, the Greeks were, the Hebrews were, excuse me. And they, they thought, and thought was the most important means of perception. So what they discerned and perceived spiritually was what they would see. And so you and I, what we see and perceive is where we see God. Some people would say of Jim's testimony, oh, baloney. Baloney. It's real to him, isn't it? It's real to him. He's even going to try it on the right side. <laughs> if it was just coincidence, why would he try it on the right side? Ephesians 4, 17, 18 says, The pure in heart having, have had their eyes open. They can walk in the light as he's in the light and have fellowship with God and with another, one another. They've had their eyes opened. So when you come to Christ, your eyes are open. And you see things you've never seen before. 
You perceive things that you've never perceived before. Things begin to unfold in front of you. (coughs) Discernment. We need it. We need to pray for it. And we need to open our eyes and have our eyes changed. So what's all this mean? How do I apply this to me today? Well, I want to ask a couple of questions. Have you ever had your heart cleansed? Have you received positional purity? And the only way you get it is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, if you're going to be a Christian, then you need to be accountable for being a Christian. You need to carry the book. You need to study the book. You need to be influenced by the book. If you're just spinning your wheels, if you're just going through the motions, what good is it? Wives, if your husband's only went through the motions and never said, I love you, occasionally, they waited for you to say, I love you, and then you'd say, ditto. Boy, that's a real heartfelt response, isn't it? You go over to get a kiss from him, and he turns his head every time. You want a hug from him, and he, you know, he just kind of holds his hand out to you. And says, yeah, 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 pat, pat you on the shoulder. Well, pretty soon you're going to kick him to the curb or kill him one or the other. Because you're looking for a little bit more out of that relationship than what he's giving you. Well, don't you think Jesus is as well? Second question is, more directed to those who found God already, are you walking in purity before the Lord? A few weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to get a virus in my laptop computer here at the church. Those are fun little deals to have. You can run your scans and do all that stuff and it'll say, got it! Didn't get it. I took it to a computer repair guy that I trust. He rebuilt the whole computer and said, we got it. No, he didn't. Because you see, those little viruses are hidden in little sections and quadrants all throughout that computer, and they just have more fun, and they're going... It's like a virus that gets in your body. And you think, I'm going to take antibiotics, and it'll be gone. And a little virus acts dormant, and then what does it do? (laughs) Here I am. And you get it again, and you get it again. Over the course of a month, I've had to have that computer rebuilt twice. I should have just stopped and went and bought a new one. See. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting so what does it mean to you and to me that we have pure hearts God can do great things through us but we need to spend some time making sure the heart stays clean just like your mother always told you to wash your hands well you washed them once you shouldn't have to wash them three or four times 
It's a daily cleansing, isn't it? needs to be with the Lord as well. Father, I ask you this morning, we come to our time of invitation. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, has never claimed you as their Savior, never been baptized by immersion, as you taught us in Scripture. They've never really changed their heart. There may be people here that have been baptized, but their hearts never changed. And What good was that baptism if the heart wasn't going to change? Oh, God, I, I don't want people to make fun of me, so I won't act like I'm really sold out to you. I, I don't want people to you know, shy away from me because you know, I claim to be your child. And God, there may be just a group of people here that have been walking with you for a long time. It's kind of been a dormant walk. Oh, they go through the motions. They'll offer a prayer every now and then. But nothing real is happening in their life. God, I'm praying you'll move in them today. You'll move in all of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make, would you make it as we stand and sing together?